Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And this is a podcast. Today, we are listening to Ocean Machine, Biomech by Devin Townsend. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. We like to talk about prog rock music. That's what we That's like to do here. kind of our mantra. That's kind of our thing here. Uh, a fun, very exciting, sometimes weird subgenre of rock music. And we're honored that you're with us. And hopefully you'll learn something today in this episode. We would love to connect with you on top of that. So please give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, or better yet, you can join our Discord server, which is a nice little chat server for all kinds of different progressive rock fans. Um, or maybe you're just getting interested or getting into the genre and you can come join that community. It's really great. We talk about all kinds of different music. Uh, we share music with each other. We have discussions. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, all of these links are in this episode's description. And we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping these episodes and this show happen. You can become a, a patron by visiting our website. If you haven't seen that yet, it's prognotespodcast.com. Or you can visit patreon.com slash prognotes. It's now going into the episode here. Devin Townsend is a Canadian singer, musician, and record producer performing in metal bands all throughout high school. He was eventually discovered by a record label who asked him to perform lead vocals on Steve Vai's album in 1993, Sex and Religion. Um, Devin is a pretty quotable guy. Uh, he has a podcast that he dives into a lot of his albums, and he's also uh, pretty out there, uh, kind of strange and, and weird. Some would say funny. But uh, quote, I'm going to quote Devin on his experience with Steve Vai. He said, at that point, I was actually 19 years of age. I'd sent off a demo tape to Relativity Records, and I got signed. On the same label was Steve Vai, who had just put out a solo record and was looking for a singer. The A&R guy passed on my demo to Steve, and he asked me to participate. I joined his fold, and we recorded an album in 1991 or 1992. We did two years of touring on that. We did things like play with Aerosmith. We appeared on The Tonight Show. So it was really, I was really in at the deep end. It was pretty over the top for someone who had never had that kind of experience. I'd never played in arenas before, for one thing. I've always been very idealistic about music. And when I moved to LA, which I did at the time, I assumed that all musicians felt that way. I pictured an empathetic and nurturing industry, end quote. And as he continues, he talks about his view of the music industry changing through this experience. He said, quote, the music industry overall is a disingenuous place. It's a hustle. So when I went down there, I was deflowered pretty quickly. And I felt at that point I wanted to take and make things explode, end quote. So then I guess you could say Devin vented, maybe, his anger on his 1995 solo album, Heavy as a Really Heavy Thing which he produced and performed nearly all of the instruments under the pseudonym Strapping Young Lad to avoid being known, or, not, or to avoid not just being known as the lead singer for Steve Vai. Right. 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 He then assembled a permanent lineup for Strapping Young Lad to record City, their second album, this time under Devin's own independent record label, Heavy Devi Records, 1997, which is a pretty interesting story in and of itself. I won't dive into it here because we're going to talk more about Ocean Machine, but if you're interested in that, he talks a lot about it in his podcast. Uh, but later that year, Devin released this record, Ocean Machine, which has a, a lot of history. But before we get into any of that, uh, Drew, you have some reviews on this record that you found that were, that were quite interesting and, and pretty well written. Is that right? I did, uh, and I'll, I'll before we dive into that, I'll, I'll just say that this album's not super well known compared to some of the other albums and bands that we've discussed on this show. So it, it's hard to find like a lot of statistics, you know, like this right. didn't break the charts and or anything like that. Um, and it's it, it, yeah, it's it's not nearly as popular as you know some of the the progressive rock pioneers that we have covered like these legends like you know genesis or pink floyd or rush or anything like that so however um all that said you can find a lot of uh fan reviews on this and the fans of Te devin townsend really like this record uh and they have a lot to say about it um destin you <laughs> yeah you wanted to experiment with this idea and i thought it'd be fun uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a statistic. You're gonna tell me if you think it's it's too high or too low. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Shoot. This album sold 8,000 copies in Japan. I know that's really kind of off the wall, but Japan. Like, is that current? Is that like up to date or was that like when it released or something? Up to date. Up to date. 8,000 in Japan. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that's low because I think he did a lot of touring with Steve Vai in Japan and I think he actually did pretty well there. Yeah. Is that low? Yeah, you're right. It sold 12,000 copies. 12,000 copies in Japan. This album. So, yes. So, yes. It broke over 10. It broke the 10,000 mark. Yeah. Good Uh, job, Devin. Good job, job, Devin. Yeah, man. There you go. All right. Another one? Um, I I have one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Prague Archives and its infinite wisdom (laughs) um, gave this an aggregate score of 4.45 out of 5. 4.45 4.45 out of five. That's got to be high. Please tell me that's high. <laughs> that's just what you think about the record. Uh, I mean, that is, in fact, too high. It is? Okay. Uh, yeah. I was it's like, aggr- there's no way. I mean, I, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I did just kind of like dog the record right there. But 4.45, <laughs> like that's that's something. That's uh, something. Well, we, we cover a lot of on these shows that are over four. And somewhere, like, somewhere I'm like, I'm surprised, honestly. Okay. Uh, no, yeah. the aggregate score was 3.99 okay, out yeah. of five. So almost four. Okay. And that's only from 332 ratings. Not very many. Oh, okay. Didn't even break 500 as far as the amount of people who voted on it. So Interesting. Um, so 40% gave it a perfect score. 37% gave it a four out of five. So 77% of users... At least the people on voted on this archives, know yeah. about this record. They think it's the, pretty good. It's worth 300 less. people of those 8,000 or 12,000 people in Japan. Yeah, that's went right. On exactly. And voted for this record. <laughs> exactly. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to share. Again, some of the people who are Devin Townsend fans really love this. Someone had said Devin Townsend is one of the musical geniuses of our time, right up there with Michael Ackerfeld, Steve Wilson, Daniel Gildenlow, and Robert Fripp. Um, Someone else had this to say. Uh, I, I think it's the first Evan album when he started to to develop his his own unique style. Here we can hear a very good advancement of the great things to come. Um, mm. So he, he goes through a lot of the different tracks on the record and, yeah. and, and says what they think is kind of unique about it. So, you know, pop metal songs with stuff like Life have a strong progressive songs with a lot of capacity to evoke magic and powerful feelings like seventh wave. We also have some examples of Devin's love to the atmospheric and the ambient, um, with stuff like sister and 3am. So, uh, finally, I think that the only real metal example of the album is regulator a fantastic song with powerful riffing. So it, 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 that just goes to show that this record goes in, in a couple of directions. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah. Um, Definitely making an argument to lend this album being progressive. Right, right. And some couple people, and I'll go into this later with the big review, um, had said that Ocean Machine is a very fitting name for this album. And I have to agree. After reading kind of what they said, I was like, yeah, I get that feeling, especially when you articulate it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Metal Archives... People love that. I mean, it's no surprise. I feel like a lot of metal fans are going to enjoy Devin Townsend. Yes. I mean, you know, that's that's he is a prog metal guy. So I was about to say, yeah, yeah. he's big in that world. So he's of in that world. He's, yeah, um, no one on that side gave it anything lower than a seventy-eight percent, and that was the lowest score. Uh, most of the user ratings were above ninety percent. There were a lot of hundred percent, like flawless scores. Wow, people loved it. Um, uh. Yeah, so people really, really, really like this record. If you're in that camp, um, yeah. So because it doesn't sell a lot of copies, but the people who did, or a lot of people who did right. buy those copies, really, really enjoy it. Which can be said about progressive rock. I feel like in it's general, that's true. true. Yeah. Um, so I, I, again, the pioneers were much more popular, and that the whole genre was much more popular when it was first gaining momentum back right. in the late 60s and early 70s. Whether you liked it or not, you kind of knew what it was, I feel like, uh, if you enjoyed music. So, um, 
I got one more before I go into. Yeah, the, you said you got a big one. Yeah. All right. This is one of those higher lows, though. Sputnik Music oh. gave it an aggregate score of 3.8 out of 5. Ooh. Higher low. Sputnik. I'm trying to think of like the 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 people who look at Sputnik. Is that isn't that like a metal site? I guess that's gonna give it away. It's hard to to nail it down. Honestly, are they kind of like pitchfork? Are they kind of like they just do whatever? They do a lot of stuff. Yeah, Sputnik is basically everything. Okay, okay. Um, so they're not really specialized. Eight out of five. I'm gonna. I hope this is gonna make it interesting. I'm gonna say high. No. No. Uh, I was slow. thinking. I was like, I wanted. I wanted to know if that they was actually gave it a four point four out of five out Dear of one thousand three hundred forty users. Way more users than Progressive Rock, or than sorry, than Prog Archives. Archives. And they gave it a four point four out of five. So, Dang. Okay. Anyways, uh, this is the big review. It was on Sputnik Music. When you look this up, this is what you'll see. It's written by a user named Cage with a K. Uh, it's incredibly well written. I think it brings up a lot of good points about this album, and I think it's a little flowery, to be honest, in my opinion. Uh, they clearly like this record a whole lot more than I do, uh, but I think it's really well written. So I, I, I thought I'd, I'd read this. Yeah, feel free to chime in, but I think okay. this is yeah, yeah. this is really well worded. So, singer, songwriter, instrumentalist extraordinaire Devin Townsend's massive, earth-shattering trademark record finds the man behind the furious, strapping young lad among other creations, yeah. at his most fresh, inventive, and innovative in his whole career. The album that spawned the most creative and interesting project he'd ever come to be involved in, Ocean Machine, is an incredible display of compositional mastery and an excellent ear for ambience. First off, this album is very, very aptly titled for a number of reasons. Comparisons to the ocean are inevitable. What comes out of the speakers when this album is played are literally waves of sound that flow around you like ocean water. And some people may find the wall of sound approach to this re recording slightly overdone, or even claustrophobic at points. But once you allow yourself to float in the endless mass of this music, you will find that Devin's sense of space and atmosphere is absolutely incredible and unmatched in anything else that's ever been recorded or likely okay. will. All right, pause, yeah, pause that's, right there. That's pause a little, right. it's a little yeah. much. Yeah, okay, when he says float, nah, -uh. you drown. You, 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 you drown. drown. You drown with the wall of sound. You do not float through this album. I'm sorry. That's not, I don't, wow. I did not agree with that. I feel like you are, you drown with this uh, because it really does kind of push you down. Like with the screaming, it pulls you the under? aggression. Yes. Does it do a little dream theater? Does, does it, it do a little dream under? theater? Yeah, yeah, does yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So that's going to be my thought on that. Sorry. I, as soon as I heard no. that, I was like, no, I don't. I, 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 I want don't. your input. I yeah, think that's, that's interesting. I that's, love that. Yeah, that's my take on that. Do you have a, you have a thought on that, or is that? I see where this person's coming from. Okay, you're 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 not drowned, but you are pushed and pulled like an ocean wave. That's so a, maybe that's not float because floating gives this sense of, or at least I attribute a sense of of calmness, of yes. peace and to, wait, to the term float. And weightlessness. That's and I agree. That's where I was coming from. Yeah. I agree. I don't necessarily know if I'd say drowning either, but you are pushed and pulled, and some of those moments are relaxing, like Sister and 3 a.m. Yeah. Particularly Sister. I really I, I dig that track a lot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just that, those give you a sense of floating. Yeah. As opposed to something, like, much more heavy, which yeah. is, I don't know, Funeral or, oh gosh, Night. why am I forgetting the name? Regulator. Night. Uh, uh, regulator, that too. I was thinking the here. Some, some moments of the death of music. I'm like trying that. to think. What's the... Why can I not remember the Seventh name? Seventh Wave? No, no, no. Not the opener. Um, see, now I have to pull this up. My computer's being slow. Here. <laughs> uh, hide it's Nowhere. Like here. Vo hide Nowhere. Thank you. Hide Nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Hide Born. Nowhere. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Anyways. So that's my thought on Yeah, okay. That. Anyway, back, back to the review on that. It uh -huh. was just a, a side note. The heaviness that Devin is known for is present here, but it's as if Devin stepped back and viewed his musical approach from a far broader spectrum than he ever had with Strapping Young Lad. He finds a new understanding of his heavy, quote-unquote for heavy Devi, uh, sound from a completely <laughs> different perspective. The heaviness is neither brutal nor bludgeoning. It does not attack or scorch. It envelops you like thick, beautiful drapery. Dear God. Okay. <laughs> 
Again, I told you this was flowery. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. But arguably, more importantly, this album and every song herein virtually creates its own ecological society of sound. An unbelievable amount of layers and reverberations all come together to play their role in the life of the music. This is not excessive without each of these many entities fusing together. The music could not survive. Beautifully subtle layers of keyboards and synth sounds create a palette for flushes of lush, crashing guitar sounds as vocals soar above the mix, not with volume, but perfect intonation. Harmonies bounce above, uh, sorry, harmonies bounce around, above, underneath, in, and inside. Sound bites crawl from underneath the torrential storm. Such a daunting jigsaw puzzle of an album put in the hands of someone less capable than Devin would fall to pieces before the end of the first song, and the ocean created would merely drown, as you said, the listener oh, in the right. burdensome waves rather than encompassing him. It amazes me that all the elements that simultaneously come together work, but believe me when I say they do. Not only that, but they create a flourishing tapestry of sound that is unlike anything I've heard before. Now, before you rush out to buy this album, a caveat for the uninitiated. I guess that's for you and me, Dustin. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and uh, what do we need to know, guy? <laughs> the density and tone of this album can be quite intimidating at first listen. It is, for the most part, a haunting and dark piece of music lacking the catchy hooks to really take off as a mainstream billboard release. The songs here must be allowed time to slowly reveal themselves layer by layer to the listener before they can be fully appreciated. If you're willing to dedicate the time and effort to listen to this, it will grow on you like a tide slowly rising to engulf the beach. And then you'll be in the middle of its vastness with nothing around but seascapes of sound. Oh, I like that. With, 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 with nothing around but seascapes of sound. Nothing around but seascapes of sound. Nothing around but seascapes of sound. That was that was nice right there. That little 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 good, right? right? So good job, Cage. I, you know, I I I agree about maybe the density of of this record because it is as I think you mentioned. I don't know if I said this, but that wall of sound sort of approach and yes, and and sound um, that doesn't necessarily, I guess, pull me away from it. Um, he did say something though in there about the lack of like hooks. Yes, everything that I feel like this guy is describing is sonic. It's like what's taking me in is really the sonic quality of this album, not really the hooks and the catchiness or the the, the whatever it is. But it's like most of everything he's talking about is lending towards the sonic and sonic quality and the energy that just kind of gets thrown with this album am i right is that sound accurate to kind of what he's sure about? are you it, cr are you criticizing that I, well i guess the only thing is is like to me i can respect the sound quality but right? you want but the compositions to what be the solid. Frickin', yeah like okay right. i could i could have a great album sounds fantastic but the songs suck and i'm not saying i'm not saying that this songs suck but i'm saying that that's a reality <laughs> Is is that really uh, the only thing he has? To, is I'm sorry. Is he done? Is he done? No, walking? we're okay. not done. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry, I told I, you. It was I may a long have jumping. I may have jumping ahead of myself because <laughs> I agree. The sonic quality of this record is is fantastic, and I actually have some stuff that I can tell you some history about that that I can tell you later on. But uh, continue now. Sorry. Uh, you're good. The album starts with an odd robotic voice re uh, reciting a mysterious monologue, and then you are immediately thrust into the middle of the ocean with a low down-tuned guitar riff that is soon joined by rising waves of textural keyboard sounds and plodding slow drum beats. Seventh Wave is a pretty good indicator of what the album will sound like. Thick guitars echo through the speakers as their keyboard counterparts reverberate around your head, bouncing back and forth for a total encompassment in, in the sound. Yeah, again, he's kind there of focusing go. on there that. We, you see what I'm saying? Like, I do. Right, I do. I'm going I'm to start pointing out the, the little moments that he starts talking yeah. about the actual compositional elements. Because I do like that you're that you're reading this because, as we just mentioned before, this isn't a very well-known record. And so I think for a lot of the people who are listening to this episode, they may not know this album. So I'm actually glad that you're reading this because it kind of gives a, a pretty well-written review about yeah. what, what's entailing with this album. So I'll, I think I'll, so, I'll yeah. continue. You are enraptured, but not trapped. Engulfed, but not suffocated. Devin's amazing gift for melodies shines in the soaring chorus. Okay. The song moves in and out of many sections, working its way through the ambience and heaviness with a very obviously progressive approach to the songwriting. 
Never have you heard anything that can be simultaneously heavy and ambient and pull it off so well. <laughs> the next song, Life, is slightly more upbeat and is the only song on the album that is truly catchy and more of a pop song than a piece of music. Okay, wow. pause. 100% agree. 100% agree right there. I think there. that's a pretty bold statement. That is a bold more statement. More of a pop gonna... song than a piece of music, basically oh, saying I, that any will... pop song is well, the, not the, music. The sentence, the sentence prior to that. What did he say? Yes, yes, what, yes. What did he say prior to that? Read that. Read that again. Well, the the the, the clause before that again is slightly more upbeat and is the only song on the album that is truly catchy and yes. more of a pop song yes. than a piece of music. Hundred percent. I, I agree yeah. with it being a pop song, and I agree with it being the catchiest song on the record. 100%. Yeah, it is. 100%. It's lighter too. It is lighter. It's uh, lighter. It has, uh, lighter in terms of mood, I feel like too. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. Um. Then he goes on to say, it's also one of the few breaks from the dark, evocative atmosphere that makes up the, uh, sorry, that makes up the majority of the album. It is, nevertheless, a great song. That should get you started on the album. Each song is similar in approach, admittedly, but the album never spirals into the decadence of repetition. The song structures, tones, textures, and melodies are far too varied and ingeniously structured to keep the listener from drifting into lethargy. To describe each track would be futile. But one of the reasons I think this is one of the most brilliant albums of the 90s is simply because of the way it is structured. It kicks off by introducing you to the album's general direction, and from there it allows you to swim around, exploring sentiments and emotions with moments of tidal force and halcyon tranquility. Hmm. The washes of ambience and acoustic guitar on Sister shower the listener in a trance-inducing pool of sadness before a crash of lightning introduces 3AM, a subtle yet extremely moving phantom of a song that provokes forlorn dreaming only possible at the hour of the wolf. What? I thought you were going to... Sorry, the water references. All of the water references. I know. The shower, the pool. I think that's kind of what he's going for here is that this is aptly (laughs) titled. Yeah, or maybe the fact that it's titled that made him think of these, yeah, analogies, these no, specific yeah. ones. All right, uh, <laughs> that's funny. it. Then launches straight into Voices in the Fan, a haunting epic that ends with a beautiful ghost-like cathedral choir, like the chorus of fallen angels rising from underneath the ocean floor. Yeah, he Dear really God. is digging into. He's the, really the, digging into the whole. He's really trying to references. like attach every thread he can to the <laughs> to the yeah, water motif here. Yep. Perhaps one of the best half hours of music I've ever had the pleasure of experiencing comes in the last three tracks. Funeral, Bastard, and The Death of Music come together to form the epic cornerstone of the album and one of the most brilliantly evocative stretches of dreamlike imagination ever committed to tape. Wow. The former starts things off with the entry into the lost underwater city that the album has always been hinting at but is only now revealing. With a subtle grandiose... I what? guess that's that's an oxymoron. That's with an, a yeah. subtle grandiose. Subtle grandiose. Grandiose what? Okay. Exactly, and that's not a noun. Anyways, with a subtle grandiose, it builds into the epic, huge bombast of bastard with an with an absolutely amazing, crushing riff and vast amount sorry and vast amounts of ambience. It is one of my favorite musical pieces of all time. Devin's overcast yet uplifting vocals cry out from underneath the stretching towers of guitars, creating one of the most captivating melodic sections of the album. The latter is a lesson in atmosphere, with a very eerie mood and very few vocals, starting off very sparse, but building into a largely epic piece. It ends the album perfectly. There is no doubt that this album is one of the most unique pieces of music I've ever heard. It will have you captivated in its waterscapes, a sea of emotion and delicate fragility underneath a rock-solid surface of heaviness. If this is a metal album, it certainly transcends most of its competition. It really feels like you've ventured, transcended someplace beyond the realm of possibility when it is finished. And as okay. Devin sings, I hope to see you on the other side. That's it. That's it. If if this is a metal album? You know, I see kind of where he's coming from. Where is he least, coming from? Yeah. At what? least from the perspective of comparable to other bands at this time that were doing really heavy stuff, including Devin's project, Strapping Young Lad, but also stuff like Mashuga and yeah. like some of these prog metal groups where it's like, this is clearly metal. This album in general, I, because you get to tracks like Sister and 3AM and Life and these tracks that are like, this isn't really metal. 
at least when I typically think of metal. Like sure. I don't even see, even if it's not heavy, heavy metal, I mean, metal in and of itself is kind of heavy, but then they, it can be obviously pushed to like extreme metal. Uh, but like Metallica, I think that's kind of, they're like a, a, a middle of the road metal, which is kind of funny to me because metal in and it's, of itself doesn't really seem middle of the road to me personally, because I just hardly ever listen to it. And all of it seems like a little too much, but compared to stuff like I, like I said, Strapping Young Lad and Meshuggah and I don't know, even Dream Theater to an extent as far as like the heaviness of the guitars every now and then. But like, there's a lot on this record. And I will say, I agree with the whole ocean motif thing. Like it's kind of, we obviously poked a little fun at it because of how continuously he kept going back to it. But I do agree with this kind of sense of push and pull in the record, like waves in an ocean. Yeah. I, I do agree with that. After reading this and then listening to the album again, I'm like, I get that. That's an appropriate analogy. And I hear that. I hear that on this record. And I can understand why you want to go with kind of Ocean Machine as a as a name for this album, as yeah. you know, something to kind of tie it all back to. Crud, even Voices in the Fan doesn't really sound like metal to me. You know, like, can we can we play that real quick? Yeah. Do you have yeah, voices in the fan? Yeah, here you go. So we've got, you know, it's not light. This is not symphonic by any means at all. No, yeah. Compared to other, like, symphonic prog groups. But this seems more ambient and kind of groovy, right? Yeah. Right, then it, his vocals are kind of heavy. You know, he's kind of yeah, screaming the them, but they're not like they're they're kind of blended into the background. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're like they're there. Right. You identify them. It's not like you can't. You, you can hear them. They're the vocals. They're the main part you're kind of listening to. But they're kind of sticking to the back of this whole composition. This whole composition is kind of out. Right. It's kind of pushed out. Right? It's very open. And to me, a lot of metal music is not that. It is, yes, a wall of sound, but it's in your face. It is high octane. There's nothing to m miss here. And there are compositions on this record, like Voices in the Fan, like Sister, like the stuff that I alluded to, that are like, is this metal? Like, that's not instinctively what I think of when I when I think of metal. And yeah. I don't think I'm the odd man out on that. So anyways... Not to, not to defend everything this writer said, because I don't totally agree with every single thing they said, but just to address what you were talking about with like, yeah, you know, it's definitely a metal record. Um, I agree with you. It is. But I, I, I don't think it's ridiculous to, to question, how would we categorize this? In the realm of metal, um, one of the things that's quite or one of the kind of, maybe you could say subgenres of it or or an element I'm going to I'm going to use the word element to describe it is something like drone metal. Okay. And that that drone metal sound is really more of kind of it's like very feedback oriented um and it also has a lot of it it, it it's exactly what it sounds like. It's droning right, metal. Right. Like it's almost like droning distortion. It's not this like Ugh. right Ugh. up in your face. Yeah, it's not right in your face, and it's chin, 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 chin. it's more of this. Yeah. No, no. It's like whirly almost, and um, well, if it's just these unpleasant noises, like continuing on for too long, then I, I, I that just doesn't sound appealing to me. Yeah, but it's that's interesting. Me. It's interesting. I'm actually gonna see. I'm gonna see here. Yeah, drone metal or drone doom. Uh, I'm just reading Wikipedia here. A style of heavy metal that melds the slow tempos and heaviness of doom metal with the long duration tones of drone music. Yeah. It's so here's here here to go here you go. It's sometimes associated with post metal or experimental metal. So maybe that's okay. something that could be that we could use to maybe kind of take this out from something like Dream Theater because um, I don't necessarily think Dream Theater is no. is post metal at all. But maybe no. that maybe this could lend to some post-metal elements in this record. Um, but also, uh, outside of the characteristics of it, um, it's saying that drone metal, blah, 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 was maybe first, and I'm not saying this is for a fact, but uh, drone metal 
uh, bands like Godflesh, uh, formed in 1989. So they're saying that this was this stuff was around the 90s, around this time period, I guess. Uh, maybe maybe a couple of years earlier, but maybe this was starting to come into that that right. that style was starting to maybe popularize a, a little bit more. Um, I don't know much about drone metal, um, so I would be the last person to ask about that but that was just something that yeah maybe lends itself to the differentiation of just like a straight metal band or a straight metal album or something like that you know what i'm saying yeah 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 so but there was a there's a well i was glad we went through that review there that was there's a lot of interesting things said some discussion points who wrote that again so we can give credit just real quick cage with a k k-a-g-e that's the well, user who cage. wrote it thanks yeah, cage thanks, thanks cage so um you want to go into uh, now? We now we've kind of talked about the about the, sort of the overall structure, some of the characteristics. You want to go back to the the genesis of this thing. You want to you want to take it take a listen to the history of this thing. I would love to. Please en- uh, enlighten me. I, I've done yeah. a little a little research myself, but I have a feeling that yours will be a bit more thorough. So well, I'm basically just quoting Devin, so I feel like I'm just gonna excellent. Just gonna, well, hey, the source, him. Yep, the, the source, the source of this. I'm just gonna take it back. Take it back. The to man him. himself. Oh. Um, let's see here. So dating back to, as I mentioned before, I'll, I'll restate it just in case dating back to the sex and religion tour with Steve, Steve Vai, Devin began to write music for a project, a project he called ocean machine. Right. Yep. The album, which was initially titled biomech was recorded and was going to release in December of 1995. In fact, uh, but Devin talks about the beginning of this album in a quote, that uh, I felt like summed up really well just straight from his podcast. He said this, quote, The genesis of Ocean Machine started with the death of a friend, Jesse Cadman, when I was 17 years old. Although I don't feel that I was emotionally mature enough during the course of the demo process of Ocean Machine, through that Steve Vai gig and through all the experiences that I had with him and on tour, and the ups and the downs and the and the kind of psychological violent deflowering that came from moving to LA with stars in my eyes, assuming that the music industry was very clearly going to be all those things that I'd seen on TV and then recognizing that it wasn't. Through that experience, I think Ocean Machine turned into the album that it is. And I think that as much as I would have liked to have started my career with that conglomeration of music that was Strapping Young Lad and Ocean Machine at the beginning, the rite of passage that the Steve Vai gig brought to me matured the Ocean Machine material into something that I thought was of value. I think that prior to that, I had not had the life experience to really be able to reflect on my past and my emotional development, or lack thereof, to make an album that was significant to others. Now, I have a question for you. Okay. I want to know if so we we've we've written music together and a lot of the music that we wrote together was when we were in high school which is around yeah. this guy which is we around young. Devin's age right so we were writing music at like 15 16 years old i think some of the stuff that's on our records were written when we were like 16 i think yeah so absolutely 16, we started 16, writing at like sophomore year of high school or something yeah. so 15 I mean, we, 16 we years kind of old edited some of those tracks later yeah. on when we actually recorded them but the the core of the songs the lyrics the main melodies most yep. of the compositional elements were retained yeah so like 15 16 years old so i thought that i was like oh i was reading this i thought of you actually because i want to know if you actually relate to this comment i want to know if if you relate to this idea of that um maybe maybe i needed something else in my life to help me mature more and my ability to be able to write something that was emotionally significant to others. Do you feel that maybe looking back on music that you wrote or lyrics, because you are the lyricist, that you wrote back when you were 16, 17 years old, do you find that those things are, do you find them listening back to them or even thinking back that those things that you wrote were still have the ability to be significant and relate to others? Or do you think that uh, you were either maybe too emotionally immature or uh, just not, don't necessarily have the, the thought process to be able to make something like that? Do you, would you agree with something like what he did? Because that's, he's saying that for the Steve I gig, that really was kind of that rite of passage for me to uh, mature this material. Do you think that our material or the stuff that you wrote would mature through something like that? Um, yeah, I, I believe that any life experience can really 
can really mature you. I think that, you know, with adversity and struggle and challenge comes growth, which is a good thing. Right. You know, uh, you know, suffering is not good in and of itself, but it can yield positive things later on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, all that to say, there are some songs that I look back on as a lyricist that I'm like, yeah, that's just not that great. I think every musician does to an extent. Um, like there's always some in their catalog that they're just kind of like, just looking back on it. I'm, I don't really care for that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think a fair amount of my lyrics, I don't know, maybe it's because it comes from my brain and obviously I can relate to it Yeah, to a point. I, I, I think there are a select few that I'm like, that was pretty well worded. I think I, I said what I wanted to say in a way I I wanted to say it, and I think some other people can relate to that. Uh, you know, I, I haven't had too many people come up and be like, "Oh, those lyrics relate to me." But one of our guitarists said that some of my lyrics made a difference to him, and that that was <laughs> one of the most gratifying experiences I had. Yeah, with with our with our band with our group. That's the incredible thing about lyrics. Lyrics are nice in and of themselves. They're really great. What makes them so powerful is the music that they're set to. Yeah. And it's it's just amazing how they can complement each other. Sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. No, um, no I, I, I thought this would have been an interesting discussion just from the perspective of somebody who's young, who's written music, and they have the ability to look back on that music and see, was I... Was I ready to release that? Do I think right. now that has the ability to be significant to others? Because that's a that's a really mature right. statement to make. But also, I mean, I know yeah. that you're people looking back on it. I was like, I don't know. Just coming from musicians as a whole, as a as whole. a whole, that that's hard because because to 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 have an album where you're like every single track and this this piece of work in completion in its entirety is good it it is good in the sense that like like you said like it can it it, it was ready there's not a single facet of this record that wasn't ready Mm -hmm. that's rare Mm -hmm. and for him to say that about ocean machine or for it to be still that significant years later which it clearly is especially if you listen to his podcast um that's pretty impressive i mean i'm glad for him like i'm happy for him that he has that feeling when he listens to this record or that he, he he thinks about this record that way yeah, that no, it is complete. Yeah, I, I thought that nothing was really, is missing. Very interesting, yeah. um, and and pretty powerful thing to say for him personally. Yeah, he does very. If, if you listen to the podcast, I know we've brought it up like three times now, but if if you listen to it, you can really get this sense of he is very emotionally invested in yeah. the lyrics that he's written. Everything is. Yeah, I feel like I feel like somebody like Stephen Wilson writes from these places of perspective and kind of like gives this idea of like, what would they do and react in these situations? How would they talk or how would they say this or how would they respond? And for Devin Townsend, it's very personal. It's a very personal record. Well, and, and in fairness to that, just that perspective, just, I, you know, the fact that it was influenced by one of a very, a very close friend dying at the age of 17 years old. Yeah. I mean, death is, traumatizing for for anyone at any age it really is it's really impactful but for him to be so impressionable i mean those years are some of the most formative of your life obviously young childhood is too but like when you get to those teenage years yep i mean 11, and i'm still very young myself 18 19 that yeah yeah i would say yeah especially especially in like middle and high school and in high school when you're starting to learn more about the world and you're becoming more educated and you're seeing the world just in a very new way in a very new way. It's a yeah. very new way. Yeah. And you're wanting to put your ideas out there. I think that that's a point in your life where you really want to be seen. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone wants to, to an extent, you know, I, it's kind of obvious, but you know what I mean? I, I feel like that's a time where you really want to express yourself in some way. It doesn't have to be through music. It can be in a variety of ways. But anyways, all that to say, having something like Death of a Friend very young, that's just, it's understandable why these lyrics are so personal. Like that is just, that's going to imprint itself on your yep. psyche. Yeah, it gives a lot of context for this album. It really did. It, yeah. gave, it, it gave it to me, which is why I, I thought it yeah. was worth mentioning. Definitely. Um, so continuing on uh, as, as uh, 
He's talking about touring with Steve Vai. He said, as awesome as that was touring, and as difficult as that was, I was doing it with my intentions and my sights solely set on eventually being able to do my own music. So when I was on the Steve Vai touring, when, sorry, so when the Steve Vai touring cycle ended, I was thrilled to be able to go back to Vancouver and to start to put together Ocean Machine that I had put on hold. On the day that the Steve Vai gig ended, Cliff Coltrary, the A&R guy for Relativity Records, flew out to Los Angeles for a meeting with me. And the meeting was at a Denny's. And it was very specifically for him to tell me that they, they as a label had been listening to the music that I had provided them. Songs like Funeral, The Death of Music, Thing Beyond Things. They had decided collectively as a label that the output was too schizophrenic to release. And so they decided to drop the project. He continues on saying this, quote, So I left the Denny's in a daze, and the one thing that Cliff had said to close off the meeting that was ultimately a godsend was he said, Listen, you've spent $60,000 making these demos. And if it wasn't any other type of scenario with a typical record label, we would hold you accountable for that. But we are going to give you the rights to these masters. So fortunately, I left that without a record deal, yet I had these elaborate demos that I had made so I could shop to other labels. Right. It's Which pretty is really nice. Pretty extravagant, yeah. But $60,000 in the yeah. 90s for yeah. these demos. I'm like, dang, that's freaking yeah. crazy. Now... Too schizophrenic. Thoughts on that? I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Is just, it, it, you know, I'm guessing if I'm going back into the, like the '90s, I'm like, I feel okay. like I've been inoculated. Yeah. Now that I've heard this record a couple of times. Right. Right. But also that the fact that I heard his first album. This is not nearly as schizophrenic as freaking Punky Brewster cooked on phonics. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that right. record. Some people might love it because it's really out there. I'm not a fan of it. It's anyways. Yeah. So this was not nearly as schizophrenic as that. So maybe I'm just comparing. But maybe that's apples and oranges because yeah. that was more of a punk record than like metal. Than this is. Yeah. Also, do you uh, like Denny's? Um. Yeah, I do. Really? I mean, I like breakfast food. That's true. You do like breakfast food, but not like. I don't- Denny's in particular. Yeah, like Denny's is weird because like it's got. Like, Actually, no. Last time I went there, it just wasn't great. Really? So I'm gonna say I don't hate it, but I don't particularly like it, and that's an important point to discuss on our prog rock yeah, podcast. Yeah, because I was about to say something like Zaxby's. Like I feel like that's one of those places too. It's like I don't hate it, but I don't love it. I like Zaxby's. You like Zaxby's? Do you love I it do. though? Do I love it? No. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. You kind of agree with me. Like I don't yeah, love it. Yeah, but I it's it's not it's not horrible. I don't hate it. Like it's it's decent. No, but I'm down. You yeah, go I'm get gonna, some Zaxby's. Let's yeah, do I'll it. Go, you know, I can go get Zaxby's with you. Or maybe I'll fly yeah. out to L.A. There are better later. chicken places, but yeah, yeah, I'll fly out to L.A. and I'll go see if we can go to a we can go to a Zaxby's. Oh, somewhere. don't expect any chains out here. There aren't oh, nearly as many. That's true. Yeah, you'll have to come to me then. You'll just have to fly yeah. to Nashville. I yeah. will. Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, so <laughs> <laughs> we can discuss we can discuss. Uh, prog this, rock, this album over some, prog rock, some chicken over, fingers, over some chicken fingers at Zaxby's with their Zaxby's sauce. Next door to a Denny's. Uh, next. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, <laughs> the 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 personnel on this record, uh, you got J.R. Harder or who uh, he affectionately calls Squid on bass. You have Marty Chapman who played drums on this record, who unfortunately actually took his own life a couple of years ago. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, Chris Val has backing vocals and John Morgan plays keyboard samples and also uh, assisted with some of the engineering. So um, now we had a discussion point with this record. Something one of the things that I heard when I was listening to this album is that it sounded so nineties. And I told you this over the phone. Yes, you did. I told my wife this and I was like, do, do you agree with this? Do you agree? She was like, yeah, this sounds nineties. Like it sounds super nineties. And I was so like, I was like, what does that mean? Like, what is what is 90s sound? Like, why why am I able to say this sounds super 90s? And so you have something I, to say on that? No, I I I think you have more to say. I feel like you've 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 talked about it more and, and yeah. you, you maybe have more thoughts on this, but but I I, I see what you're saying. 
I see what you're saying. I feel like there is kind of a lot of distortion in guitar had a very iconic sound in the 90s that a lot of bands used across a lot of different genres. Yeah. So crud, like 90s Rush sounds 90s. Doesn't just sound like Rush. You know what I mean? It's like that has a 90s sound to it. The distortion that Alex Lifeson used on the guitar yeah. honestly is not that different from Nirvana. It's right. not. Right. It's not. It's, yeah. it's super different from what he was using back in 1978 on Hemispheres during the trees. That yep. kind of distortion was very different. It's a lot of different equipment. So I didn't do enough research on this. Yeah, but it really sparked my curiosity. It really did. And I, I want to take a couple of moments to – to go through kind of what I found because I, I thought this was interesting. I just really did because I was listening to this. I'm going, this sounds nineties, but that got me questioning. What is the sound of the nineties? What is the nineties mm -hmm. sound like? Why does this sound nineties? So this is what I found. All right. So I did a little bit of research and I was like, all right, I got to figure this stuff out. So here, here's my uh, context of the, let me give some context actually of, of the nineties. So I think the decline of eighties metal, began to happen in like the late 80s. So I started listening to some of the like that that like the hair metal, that kind of thing, like the 80s hair metal. And I was like, when did yeah. that start to die? And I really do think it was like the end of the 80s. Think of like Freight Train by Nitro, if you know that song. Like it's just it yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm giving a reference point here because I, the image this is the other thing I started noticing is the image of bands started to change. Like the image of Yeah, whoa, yeah, 100%. 100%. So you got so you have yeah. like bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers and like Jane's Addiction and Soundgarden. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the Black Crows or something like that. And then but then right. in the thrash metal scene, you had uh you mentioned before Metallica, right? right. Who was who was very like they were driving forth that entire subgenre. They really brought it to like the limelight. Right. And then we finally get to the Seattle grunge stuff with like uh, like a man of the a man in the box by Alice in Chains, yes, or, yes, yes. Uh, or, or smells like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, like yeah, those yeah, yeah. those like the grunge uh, the Seattle grunge stuff. See, along with these two, now we got this whole blend of things that are going on with Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Smashing yes. Pumpkins, Rage Against yeah. the Machine, right? Yeah. And and actually, here's what I, I put together this. I put together this because I found this to be really interesting because the the lack of riffs is something that I think it lends to this album sounding like '90s. It was very it was very like chord driven. Yes, it was very, it was yeah, very yeah, yeah. melody driven. There weren't a whole lot of riffs. Uh, there yeah. were some, like there there were some, um, but. Check this out. I mean, you'll get it. You'll get a glimpse of what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. get the idea yeah, you get yeah the yeah. idea like there's a very very popular song well the drums the too the drums yeah yeah you're like not hearing nearly as much stuff on the ride symbol you're hearing stuff just being played either on the crash or the open hi-hat yeah right so like it was it was very much so this uh production style i think was i think was huge like in the 90s like the the, the production style of it but i think some of those riffs and some of those like guitar sounds and stuff like that if you just crank the knobs up just a little bit, you'd probably have something that sounds similar to Ocean Machine. Some of those, some of those riffs, like 
night and greetings and freaking guitars and life and you know those, those types of sounds so right. th- it had less of this focus on the riffs and technicality those are pretty simple like it wasn't very flashy yeah. at all um right. there were solos in the 90s but i feel like there were less than the 80s maybe so Possibly. so i have a question yeah what's up is this progressive rock is this, is this album under the prog rock or prog metal, whatever you want to call it, but we're, we're going to use prog rock as to encompass the whole prog metal because there's a lot of subgenres under prog rock. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Kind of crazy. Is this prog rock? Yeah, I, I would, I would say yes. I'm, I'm going to say yes. And you feel like we have to say yes because this is we, we were doing this on our show and like we have um, to justify that. Yeah, <laughs> but let me, let me say this though. Let me say this. I, I here's. Here's what I would say. Here's going to be my answer. I think Devin Townsend deserves to be on this show. I do think that this is a very bad record to judge Devin Townsend by. I think if you want to okay, know, yeah, if, yeah. if you want to know who Devin Townsend is, I do not think that you should start with Ocean Machine. I know that in his discography, but he he is really developed, and I've listened to a lot of his other records with Devin Townsend Project as well as his solo stuff, and. As he he sort of found his groove, this very operatic choir wall of sound thing, um, and I mean, shoot, even with like transcendence, with something, uh, one of that that album, which came out in like 2016 or something like that. It's very very different than this. Very different. This doesn't have the signature Devin Townsend style that I think every that he's known for. This album. So, I think Devin Townsend. Yes, Devin Townsend absolutely belongs to be on prog notes he, he should be on prog notes in the prog metal world absolutely i don't know if ocean machine is the best album that we could have done to introduce Devin to the show i really don't think so um i, think I know it, i know that it's you know early maybe in his, not in his career right but yeah maybe not to introduce him but i know that this is a, a very significant record for for him personally, and a lot of fans really attach. Yes, no, most a lot definitely. of meaning to this record as well. Yeah, so maybe you're right. Maybe we should have done this later after doing one that he was more. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I was I wondering because this just doesn't, to me, sound very progressive rock. Really? Like, I I think maybe it's more art rock or art metal. I think it has yeah. more ties to a term like that than you know, progressive rock or metal, you know, there's a lot of profound concepts and themes coupled with a lot of interesting sound effects, right? The, the, yeah, those are yeah, things yeah. that are in prog rock, so that's kind of how you justify it. There's, you know, there are longer songs on here, right? Yeah. But I'm missing the prominent keyboards. I'm missing the intricate riffs. I'm missing the insane performances, the complex time signatures, the nerdy lyrics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, there's just something about this album that doesn't really seem prog rock to me well, when i hear this let so. me let me let me say this then i think a lot of people say that prog rock died in the 90s i know some people say prog okay. rock died in the 80s i don't whoa, think whoa, prog whoa, rock whoa. died in the 80s prog rock did not die in the 80s here's an interesting thing oh uh a lot of people say that prog rock was revived in the 90s okay now i'm not i don't think know if about, I, I don't know if i can make that argument i don't know if i don't know think if about I can porcupine make tree spock's beard tool yeah. symphony x right yeah. okay yeah so there was a reddit post i'm gonna read what this person said okay yeah throw it uh that the the, <laughs> the whole labeling thing is kind of a matter of semantics anyways but anyways I know, I know um here's what they said i think those bands of the 90s revival period had one thing in common they got their attention more or less by copying those bands of the 70s, which today would be called retro prog. And after a decade and a half of stagnancy, this was welcome. See bands making music like Yes or Genesis. And those bands that got deserved attention for it deserve the credit for bringing progressive music back into relative spotlight. Likewise, those first waves of prog metal guys like Dream Theater and Symphony X took the opportunity to combine those classic prog attitudes with traditional heavy metal and invented the prog metal genre outright. Yeah, the variation in the genre wasn't what it is today. Most '90s prog metal is what would be called traditional prog metal nowadays. Um, however, the mid 2000s went through a large shift in both prog rock and in prog metal. Around that time, you kind of saw the umbrella of what was considered prog grow considerably. The genre exploded with dozens of lesser sub and micro genres. 
progressive rock saw the rise of crossover prog bands that yeah. took these progressive approach to songwriting and combine it with shorter and more varied sounds across a plethora of musical genres that allowed for bands like the Mars Volta, the Deer Hunter, Thank You yep. Scientist, Big Big Train, Stephen Wilson solo stuff, et cetera, et cetera, to push to the forefront of the genres. Yeah. Artists that while undeniably prog, sorry, that while undeniably prog rock were able to make names from themselves and for the genre by doing more than paying homage to the bands of the 70s. Yeah. So, uh, anyways. Yeah. See, that that's that's like, it didn't, it didn't die. I, I just I just think that the sound was not in favor of what the people that were listening to prog rock in the 70s and 80s were used to. I mean, it was yes. a total shift, right? Yeah. Like you to could, the point where like you you start calling it modern prog because yeah. it is distinct. Yes. From something like the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yeah. Or like the Yes album or yep. something like that. You know. I don't know. I guess in in the grand scheme, if you look at like the stuff that was popular in the prog world, I really do think the Dream Theater kind of carried it for the most part. I, I think Stephen Wilson was, uh, you know, kind of doing he was kind of doing his psychedelia stuff that was going on. But I really do think that Dream Theater was kind of like, okay, let's take the heavy things that people are doing and let's take our influences of Rush and let's just go harder. Yeah. In classic Rush fashion, like they did. Right. I mean, they really kind of started that. They just kind of propelled it into a different area, right. um, and their and their incredible skills, which that was a thing that just wasn't very popular. Technique was just simpler in the '90s. You know, like these songs were not very hard to play. Right. It, re it really, really wasn't. Which is a complete 180 to that '70s sound. Right. I agree. So one of the reasons I think this album doesn't really impress me is because of the uh, well for one kind of like the vocals being kind of pushed away um so there really wasn't any like vocal hook i could grab onto but secondly that i don't know there i i, I like riffs i guess that's just me part i'm, I'm opinionated towards no, that i suppose no I, like I, I totally get it i am I, too so i like riffs um and uh i usually attach to musical motifs way faster than lyrical motifs I usually attach faster to uh, musical riffs than I do with vocal melodies. That's just that's just who I am, I suppose. Um, so when there was a lack of both on this yeah. record, it didn't really, and it was so long. It was like an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, like, he pushed man. he pushed the limits of the of how long you could put something on a on a yeah a CD yeah, on a CD back. at the time, yeah. On that topic, I'm I'm not a not a huge fan of this record either. I found much more appreciation for it after listening to his podcast and doing a bit more research on it. Yeah, um, for sure. But this it's, it's not it's not my favorite. Yeah, uh, you know he's got an impressive voice. Doesn't mean it's a good voice. It's an impressive voice. Um, you know his at least on this record he has a solid soft voice when he's not screaming. It's solid. It's not going to blow your mind. It's not gorgeous. It's not buttery, silky smooth, but it's nice. It's an accessible voice. Yeah. The fact that he can scream is really impressive, just like Macalaka felt. Again, it's not a good, pleasant sound to hear. <laughs> I do not understand why people. I don't. I do not get it. I never. I never will. Uh, I never will. Oh uh, man. Like it. Let me put it that way. Maybe I can understand it. Maybe people really enjoy that guttural sound, but I personally never will. But yeah, he does that on he does that on some of the Strapping Young Lad stuff, and I'm like, I why would why would you voluntarily listen to this? I, I, I mean, unless you're trying to get like important classified information out of like some type of secret agent, and you're putting them through a torture. <laughs> Scenario. What is it? Why on earth would you voluntarily listen to this? <laughs> like it's that kind of screaming that's like it's like at the end of the record on this. Well, yeah. At the end of the record on this, it's this big massive scream that he does that is just horrifying. I don't know. I can get that. I see. I can even wrap my head around that better than I can like listening to some moments of Blackwater Park where it was like. No, the reason Devin did the scream at the end of this record is because, well, one, he wanted to fill up the tape. And two, he at least <laughs> says it's like, it's yeah. a cathartic release. And it's short, and it's this little burst. And I'm like, okay, I can get that in a burst. Why are you doing a whole song with that? 
Yeah. So he doesn't, uh, again, uh, at least yeah. he doesn't really do it that much on this record. Like, at least that kind of growly type of scream, scream. Mm-hmm. He screams on this record, but it's less intense than it is on some stuff like Strapping Young Lad or Opeth stuff. So I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I think what lends itself to the and I know they've had several conversations uh, throughout the podcast over the last three years when it comes to the screaming vocals and our preference and as the more and more music that I've listened to, which I have to say in the last three years, I've listened to uh, more music that had screaming and guttural vocals and growling than ever. So. I guess I could say I'm very I've only been listening to that for about three years at this particular moment in time while I'm recording this. So do I have 10 years of listening to guttural vocals? No. Do I want to have 10 years of listening to guttural vocals? No. No. Now, but here's the thing, though. I think something that we mentioned is purpose for something like screaming and the purpose for something like using that sure. level of an energy. And if we go back and listen to our Vola interview, that is something that we very, that we really enjoyed because it yeah. was this 10, it was this fifth gear. It was this, it was this extra yeah. umph that he could yeah. pull out of the bag and say, we got to go big. We got to go yeah. big right here. And the thing is, is when you give that up in the first 10 seconds of the song or the first minute, or the first track, or whatever it is, when you give that up, you've already hit the limit of where the yeah. energy can go. So the only place you can go is, guess what? Down, 3 a.m., yeah. sister. That's the only place yeah. you can go. You can only yeah. go down. But then guess what? You go down and all of a sudden everybody's clapping their hands going, wow, it's so progressive. He actually yeah. went down in volume. He had a whole song that had no distortion on it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like It's just like... Yeah. That's that's kind of where we've gotten to. I love it when it's used in moderation to give this sense of like we're going hard and we're going for it. Yeah. But I yeah, cannot yeah. I can't do an album. I can't do a whole album no. of somebody no. going like balls to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't do it. It's it's not my preference. I know I know that there are 5000 arguments that anybody who is really really, you know, loves prog metal or loves the screaming and the guttural vocals there are 5,000 arguments that you can give me. This is just my personal opinion and my personal preference when it comes to listening yeah. to music. So yeah. um, you can just leave it at that because it's, it's not really worth much of anything. But do you have any any final things to say on, on Ocean no. Machine by Devin Townsend? I don't. I thought no. this was interesting. I'm still glad we did it. I thought oh, most definitely. A, a really interesting record to, to do. Yeah, I thought this album was, uh, at first, it was very, very interesting and difficult for me to get through, to be honest with you. And to listen to it from the top to bottom in a in one sitting, I'll be honest, it was very difficult for me. It was very difficult. It was easier than Blackwater Park for me. So Really? Okay, okay. Right. Yeah. For, for what it's worth, you know. What I'm it's just worth. saying. So, but, uh, yeah, it was easier it was, than... Pawn hearts. Oh man. And with that, we're just gonna go ahead and end off the episode here. Just saying. I'm so, not saying I'm just saying. I do actually, you know, I have I found one thing online that was really funny. I'll just say this real quick. I found this thing. It was like a YouTube comment on one of Devin's videos or something like that. And it said this. It said, Devin Townsend is the Deadpool of prog metal. I thought that was funny. I just had to say it. I thought that was hilarious. Jeez. This is the Deadpool of prog metal. For those who know Devin Townsend, probably mm -hmm. either have seen that or completely understand. So we would like to thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Ocean Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe you learned something new in this episode from the history or some of the context, please subscribe and share this. There are plenty, plenty of ways that you can support us if you'd like. You can become a special prog notes patron at patreon.com slash prognotes to get access to some extra benefits outside of just our monthly episodes that we release on the 1st and 15th. But also, if you can't do that, just leaving us a review on this episode or leaving us a review on the show will really help the algorithm get it in front of other people. And if you can't do that, guess what? Being a listener also helps. So you can come join our Discord server, uh, chat community for all prog rock fans and fans of the show. You can check out that in the episode's description but before we close off drew what are we going to be doing for our next record it's a surprise stay tuned it's a surprise 
feel like we're going to do something different. It's going to be fun. So join us next time as we're not going to tell you for the past, present, and future. <laughs> this is some frog rock. We'll see you guys on Discord. Thanks for listening. <laughs>